Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. How y'all doing this morning? One thing that you know from being a kids and youth pastor, I got energy. So y'all ready this morning? Are y'all awake? I had my coffee. Did you have your coffee? So hold on to your seats. We're going to get going here. Are you ready? So I want to go ahead and pray over this word as I start. This prayer is for you. This prayer is for me that God's word would speak in this house this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we open up your word, God speak to us. May this word be the guiding light in the season that this radical church finds themselves, in a season of transition, in a season of growth, as well as a season of celebration. They've made it, God. They've made it two years, but this is just the beginning. Lord, I see in this place families, and I ask in Jesus' name that the legacy of faith that begins here now would continue for generations to come. And that's why today's message, Lord God, is so important. You place it on my heart, and I know every person in this room lives it. Lord, we can't do this without you. We need you. We need perseverance. We need courage. And we need the resilience to continue. So, Father, bless this word in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, praise the Lord. Woo, I am ready to go. Are you guys ready? So here's the deal. The title of the message, is, as you know, you've been concluding a series called Built By. So this morning's message is built by grit. Everyone say grit. grit. That's right. I love it, guys. So here's, what's, here's what we're going to start with. In April 2013, a woman by the name of Angela Lee Duckworth, she's a doctor, a professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, she gave a TED Talk. How many of you are familiar with TED Talks? And hers was one of the most popular TED Talks of all time. In fact, in 2013, she gave it. It now has 38 million views. The title of her talk was Perseverance. It was Grit, the Power and Passion of Perseverance. So after years of research and all that she did, she found this out, that it turns out across all ethnic, all ethnic, socioeconomic, <laughs> educational and psychological demographics. Across all demographics, here's the truth, one characteristic can consistently emerges as a significant predicator of success. Do you know what it is? Grit. She defines grit as this, the ability to persevere in pursuing a future goal over a long period of time. Church, when you start a church, it's not a short period of time, right? It's a long period of time. We're believing Radical Church to be a generational church, right? What we found now is going to happen for years and years and years. We're not going to give up. It's about having stanima. It's sticking with your future day in mind, day out and day in and day out. Not just for a week, not just for a month, not even just for a year, but for years and years working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit is living life more like a marathon than a sprint. That's what she shared in her TED Talk, and that's why it has 38 million views, because people are drawn to this message. But this morning, I want to share the truth, not from a psychologist, but from God himself. Amen. Today, I want us to talk about spiritual grit, and the only way you build the church is with spiritual grit. The only way you build a life in Christ is with spiritual grit. Spiritual grit is the key that unlocks all the things that we are longing for in our relationship with Christ. How many of you want more peace? 
It's gonna take grit to get it. How many want more strength in your life, in your marriage, in your work, in your calling? It's gonna take grit. How many of you need more thanksgiving and recognizing and humbling yourself before the Lord? It's gonna take that grit. How many want a better character and be made holy in the image of God? It's gonna take grit. As believers, we grow in our identities in Christ. And most often, the main tool that God uses to produce this maturity is our grit. The Bible says in Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace we now stand. How many know that's a good word right there? I could preach everything around that few sentences right there. Consider this, you are standing well, sitting right now in grace. Grace happens here every Sunday morning. This is where grace happens. It does, and amongst of a community, many of you can remember now, and if you even just reflect on the last few weeks, months, and years, the times God has encountered you with his grace sitting in this room. But not only that, grace happens here, grace happens where? Here. Your daily walk in Christ, Grace happens here. The verse continues, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory. Look at that word. We actually glory in our sufferings. That seems kind of counter to the word suffering and glory, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that our sufferings produce perseverance. Perseverance, character and character, hope. And the verse continues, and Paul's preaching here to a church in Rome that is experiencing great struggle, great challenge. Our culture's pretty messed up, but Roman culture, how many know it was messed up too? So much so that entire empire fell. Listen, this is the truth. Paul and the word of God was being spoken to a church in the midst of great trial. Many of them were losing their lives. But he said these words, and our hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. The hope you have will not put you to shame. The hope you have is in Jesus Christ. So today I wanna to start my message by asking the question, what is at stake if you don't have spiritual grit? What are the stakes? What are the stakes if you leave this place today and, and, and not have spiritual grit in your day-to-day -day life? What's at stake if Radical Church decides in year two to not continue the grit that got you this far? What's at stake, church? I wanna convince you a lot is at stake, and that's why I wanna start here in the message. There's so much at stake at what we're talking about today. This brings us to the book of Nehemiah, which you have been studying these last few weeks, and I've been following along. I, I always text Trevor, I was like, usually I'm at the gym and I'm listening to his message. I'm like, I listen to your message, man, worship, you got me. And I, and I, like two or three times I texted him, and sometimes it was divine moments of, of, of coincidence, the very moment I texted him, because our spirits are connected in this, in this message today. And I really feel like even we sat at a coffee shop over a month ago before he started this message, and I wasn't even expecting anything from Trevor other than have coffee. But your pastor turned to me and I tell Leslie this story all the time. He said, pick a date. And I'm like, what do you mean? Pick a date, I want you to speak. 
And that blessed me so much, Trevor. It set something on fire in me. And, and even in the midst of a season where I was going through a lot in business and ministry, to have that inspiration of saying, come speak, was one of the most encouraging things. But today, guys, as we continue this final sermon in Nehemiah, what's at stake is what happened at the end of the book. Chapter 13, this isn't a Disney story where it all ends happily ever after. I wish it was. Unfortunately, it's not. Chapter 13 is all about Nehemiah's final reforms. Here's the guy that was considered to be the governor, the guy that brought all this reformation, all these building, and yet he comes back thinking everything's gonna be continuing the way he did, and he comes back and it's all messed up. Here's a summary of what was going on, and I'm gonna go kinda quickly because I encourage you, as you probably have been doing, read Nehemiah at home. Today, when you go home, even with your kids, your kids are over there, perhaps read chapter 13 together after you know the context of what we're sharing today and apply this truth into your home today because your home can experience the same thing if you're not careful. Here's the summary. You see verses one and three, God exposes sin with his word. Nehemiah 13 and one, on that day, the book of Moses, they finally decided to open up the book again. They finally opened up the book again, and it was read aloud in the hearing of all the people. That's what they would do so often. It was being preached in the streets. It was being spoken, and the entire community heard the word again. And what does this word have a, the ability to do? <laughs> oh, it exposes things, doesn't it? I heard it many times. This word's a mirror. It's going to show you who you really are, and it's going to define you as well if you trust it. It's going to show you your identity. And that's what it was doing to the people of God at this moment. But you read continually through verses 4 and 14. The house of God was being defiled, y'all. The very house of God that Nehemiah and Ezra and all the people rebuilt was now being defiled again. It's like as if coming in here and this is a place of worship and, and people who worshiped idols started coming in on here and playing your instruments. Trevor would have nothing to do with that and neither would any of you. But that is exactly what was happening. In fact, Tobiah, this man who was an enemy who tried to hinder Nehemiah all the way. He was an enemy of, a, of, of another country, and he, what, this is what even happened. By the time Tobiah, he exploited his relationship with the high priest at the time. Nehemiah was back in Persia doing some governmental things. He's going to come back. But in the meantime, Tobiah comes back into the worship of God, the, the, the temple of God, and uses the storerooms for his own business. Ooh, how many know Jesus didn't like that when they used the temple the wrong way? <laughs> Jesus turned into, yeah, he, he, he took some whips, remember that, yeah? But this is exactly what was happening. Tobiah was the very enemy who attempted to hinder Nehemiah's efforts, were now, was now in the very house of God selling his stuff. How do you think Nehemiah felt when he came back? Ooh, I love Nehemiah. I, want, I, need, I need more Nehemiah, I need to be more like Nehemiah sometimes. <laughs> even with my kids. <laughs> Nehemiah kicked him out so fast. The Bible says he threw his furniture out. I mean, I just could see Nehemiah walking into the temple of God and taking this furniture from this enemy of God and throwing it into the streets. Nehemiah then discovers something else that the Levites, the worship team, the singers that were gonna bring the holiness of God and let it resonate in the temple, those singers weren't being paid their fair share, so you know where they were, out in the fields working because the people who were handing the money and the, tre the treasure weren't doing what they were supposed to do. So the people of God and the worshipers of God, the, the descendants of Aaron themselves were out in the fields when they should have been in the temple. 
Nehemiah says in verse 11, so I rebuked the officials, asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Good leaders ask good questions because he challenges all the people. And then he called them together and stationed them at their posts. Anytime there's a change, leaders will ask the right questions and then they'll do the work and bring clarity to the situation. Then verse 15 to 22, the people were dishonoring not only the house of God, they were dishonoring the Sabbath. The people were desecrating the Sabbath. They were intermarrying with one another. All of a sudden, foreign women were coming and they were marrying them. And here's the problem. The problem was when they married foreign women who spoke foreign language, the women raised the children. The children didn't know Hebrew. If a child doesn't know Hebrew, how does he worship? See, God in the Old Testament, it it looks kind of harsh sometimes the way he dealt with some of these intermarrying relationships, but the realization was God knew and the people knew they were one generation from losing it all. We are one generation from losing our faith with our children. Some of you in this room have a generational uh, legacy of faith from the early pioneers of America coming to Texas and pioneer, like me. I have German pioneers that came from Germany, settled in Fredericksburg area. They, I even have Texas Rangers, and they were people of faith. And I look at that, they came here to seek a better life, and even some of them came to seek freedom of religion and all those things, and they came with that legacy, and it's up to my family to continue it. That's what was at stake here, guys. And he says it then in verse 18, didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity? The whole reason they were scattered off and exiled was for the very sin that they're doing again. And yet here they are back in in Jerusalem, back in the home, and they're still doing it. They lacked spiritual grit. You're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. And finally, verses 23 through 31, if you read it with your family, this is important. This is a great place to think about. The people had not purified their homes. Today, how many parents in the room? Raise your hand. Your home is the place of discipleship. Lindsay and the Radikids family and the volunteers over there are gonna partner with your home. But if all your kids get is an hour on Sunday, I challenge you today, are they really being discipled? But Nehemiah came in and he purified their home. His efforts that he made these reforms literally touched every area of sin in the community. Even as the book ended, he felt complete. I love the way it ends. Nehemiah says, God, I've done the work. Remember me on these good days. Like he really felt, Lord, I did everything I could for these people. And throughout the Old Testament, a lot of the leaders of God's people say the same things. Moses felt like he did everything he could, and he still felt like he didn't do enough. But that's what Nehemiah does. That's how the book ends. But I believe, listen, guys, this is why spiritual grit is so important. Because radical church, because your family, because your story is not going to end like this. Amen? Amen. See, the problem in Nehemiah 13 is the people lacked the grit to continue the work that they tirelessly did throughout the sermon series that you just heard. They were built by community, by worship, by prayer, by being in unity together. They did all those things, but then they forgot them. They became permissive of sin. And one thing that will always bring something to an end that belongs to God is when sin is permitted to exist. Too often permissive of sin and we settle for good enough. 
That wall was repaired. Yes, it's good enough. We're settled now. We're comfortable. That's good enough. Hey, we've got 200 in our church now. It's good enough. You know, it's good enough. People get settled. That's, some it's good, right? But sometimes, guys, we settle for good when God is calling us to great. Like the Israelites in this chapter, we lack spiritual grit at times. We lack the courage, the perseverance, or the resilience it takes to get where God is leading us. We lack the character that is necessary. I will confess that there are many times in my life that I lack the character to be the husband, the father that God is calling me to be. I fail just like you fail. And we lack this character sometimes to overcome temptation. It's a struggle we all at times are in. Because oftentimes we seek the easy fix in what's comfortable. And we're surrounded by a culture that simply likes the easy fix in the comfortable things. I can share a lot of examples of that, but I don't think I have to, because as I say it, I can, I can see nods in my head. There is plenty of that. We seek easy things. But here's the truth too. We often forget our identities as children of God and we don't hold on to what is good. And when we don't hold on to what is good, we fail, we give up. And that's exactly what Nehemiah came back to. So now we've talked about what's at stake. Are you ready to receive spiritual grit? See, I believe, I've watched your services and I love the way Trevor leads his messages because I agree with the method. This sermon is less about everything I say and more about what you receive today. What will you receive when you have spiritual grit? Are you ready for this? I got an illustration I'm gonna have my son come out at this moment. So we'll start with this illustration and I'll move quickly through the rest of the sermon. Check this out. My son is 12 years old, right? Yes, almost a teenager. He's a definition of a preteen. So how many have preteens in their home right now? Woo, oh yeah, that's a fun age. And how many have teenagers and young adults in your home? I need to learn from you guys, because we're headed that way. So come on up here, yeah, stay in the light. Right here, no, stand, yeah, stand it up straight. This will like, kind of represent you. There you go, hold it just like that. Careful, don't get splinters, because I did, I picked it up the other day and there was a splinter just hanging out of my finger. I was like, okay, that can't happen when I'm preaching. So, here's the deal. This is a piece of wood. And this is what? Sandpaper. You see guys, sandpaper is produced in a range of grits. This is a bigger grit than this one. I'm not the expert. Some of you may be woodworkers and know a lot more, but I'm gonna give my explanation of why this matters. See, sandpaper is used to remove material from something else. It's used to make it smoother. So as I rub the sandpaper, even on this right now, all of a sudden, it's smoother. It's also used to remove the layer that needs to be removed, something that needs to be removed. So it makes it smooth, it removes things. And finally, it can also even be used to make the surface even more rough in order to apply something new as well. So let me apply it today. This is my son and he's obviously holding it. How many know parenting sometimes feels like you're sanding? How many know our kids need to learn spiritual grit and it's up to the parents to apply it? How many of there are areas and things that my son is growing up and doing that I as a parent am responsible to start applying the sandpaper even if he doesn't like it? Well, God does the same thing to us because what he's trying to do is he's trying to restore us 
See, this wood is not yet complete. And what God really wants to do in our lives and in our faith is he's always in a constant act of restoration. And there are always things that he's trying to smooth out in our lives. There's always things that he's trying to prepare so that we can have new things applied to our lives. Guys, you know, I love restoration. How many of you love those shows where they start with one thing and it becomes beautiful again? What I'm excited to tell you is that's the, that's the process of grit and spiritual grit makes things more beautiful. Even though it's hard, that's why we can say that we suffer and yet it's glorious. See, God wants to take this and apply it to your life. And even as a teenager, I know there are times when my son and I are going to have conversations and I'm going to challenge him and it may not be easy for him to receive. It might feel like sandpaper. He might even not, he might rebel at times, but son, I'm going to keep coming back and I'm going to keep applying the sandpaper. You're not going to change anything about me, even though you don't want to change. God is faithful. God will continue to work on you even when you don't want it because he loves you, he cares about you, and he's refining you into something beautiful. You see, pushing sandpaper often feels like an endless job, right? How many have done it? And your arm gets tired. My wife just restored the cabinets in the kitchen, and um, I let her do all the, the, the <laughs> It was funny, I, it did. I let her do all the cleaning and the sanding, and I ended up getting to do the painting. I like the painting. But it's a struggle sometimes, the season you're in. You know, um, some of those seasons when we're going through this sanding, it, it can be hard because even in business, my wife and I both started businesses in the last year. And how many business owners here? How many small business owners? Oh my goodness, I am learning so much from the life that you guys probably have been living for years. It's a challenge, but it's worth it. And I have grown more in this last year leading my own business than I ever have in my entire life. My wife and I can even go through seasons where we lose our biggest client, one third of our revenue gone in one night. And I tell you, that happened, and it took grit to overcome, because we could have simply quit. We were even saying, okay, one of us has got to go back to work. We were all at this moment about to quit, but it took grit to overcome. And I tell you, we've learned more in these last few months than we've ever learned before. We went through, and not only that, God has sent people into our lives with the very information and wisdom and talent and tools and things, exactly what we need to get to the next level. In fact, my wife is pivoting her entire ministry and her, and her, her work and her business to an entirely new thing and really going after the dream God has placed in her heart because of a loss of a client. What looked like a disaster has actually been a flood of, of goodness. God's glory is coming in, amen? I love this, I'll share one more thing about it. I actually was looking up sandpaper and I saw this quote on a website about like restoration. It said, the flawless gleam of an oak floor, the smoothness of a painted wall or ceiling, the high shine of a varnished tabletop are all a result of a job well done. And all made possible by the patient, methodical application of sandpaper. Now, I'm not selling sandpaper today. I'm selling spiritual grit. Because listen, the glory of God is revealed in our suffering. Our courage will help us to overcome. Our per perseverance will help us continue. And our resilience will help us in the midst of any storm. Church, the journey ahead is filled with lots of challenges. And it's going to feel like it's grinding. And it's going to feel like a grind at times. But you know what? It's going to make something beautiful. Amen. Give God praise. Thank you, Brett. And I gotta remind you something too. 
Jesus, his father, was a carpenter. So our God knows a little bit about carpentry. But here's the thing. Jesus is restoring you every day. He's making you new. You are being spiritually formed into the image of Christ through the process of sanctification, through the process of saying yes to God and no to sin. Every time you say yes to God and no to sin, you're being sanctified. Every time you overcome a challenge in your life, I have come and overcome challenges in life and marriage and ministry, and I sit across from my counselor. Yes, I go to counseling. I will never deny that. I will always appreciate it because it's been a work in my life. I sat across from my counselor and I would tell him things like, I was so surprised at myself, how I handled that situation. And he would look at me and say, it's because your faith is growing. He said, it's coming to a point where the things that you do that you used to not do are no longer gonna surprise you because you're gonna have that level of faith where you're walking in that every day. That's what God is trying to produce in us today, amen? So today, we've heard the stakes. We've heard the value of spiritual grit. I wanna give you a plan for your life today. And that plan is three points. So if you're taking notes, I have a lot of good slides for you. So we're gonna go through this at this time. So what's the plan? How can you, how can your family, your children, have spiritual grit. Because if you get it and your family get it, Trevor, guess what's gonna happen? Your church is gonna get it. So often, I don't wanna speak just to the radical church, I wanna speak to the individuals here because it starts with you. What are you gonna do today? Number one, spiritual grit starts with hope. Everyone say hope. When I teach kids, I would teach them this motion, so I'm gonna go ahead and do it right now because it'll help you remember too. (laughs) True hope is more than a wish. It's being certain that what God has promised is true. How do you like that? Your kids will be learning that soon, I promise. It's one of my favorite ones. But if you think about it, what God has promised is true. We all wish for things, but in God, there is no wishing. In God, there is hope. You don't hope for the, you don't wish for the promises of God, you hope for them and you believe they are true in yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Going back to our verse that I shared in the beginning, we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but also in the glory of our sufferings, because we know that our sufferings produce what? Perseverance, our perseverance produces what? Character, and our character ultimately produces the very thing that gets us there in the first place, hope. It's the very thing that's gonna propel us and get us all the way to heaven one day, it's hope. And our hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. True hope is more than a wish. Some of you are simply wishing the promises of God and not putting your hope in them. Change that today. Number two, spiritual grit. This is my favorite one. I told Trevor, I was like, when I actually sat at a coffee shop, my buddy's here, he's Pastor Javier, and him and I were sitting having discipleship, and I said, hey man, can I share my sermon? And I was going through this like, you know what would be cool? If I had an acronym. (laughs) So you know what? I got an acronym, and and Javier, thanks for helping me with this. Spiritual grit requires CPR. And I tell you, the energy of faith that when we started working on this the other day, it was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I was like, I'm gonna write a whole book on this one day. (laughs) Literally, but I can't wait to share it, so let me share it. 
The medical term CPR stands for, I'm gonna mispronounce this word too probably, cardiopulmonary resuscitation, not bad. And it performed, it's performed on those whose hearts have stopped beating. CPR is performed on people whose hearts stop beating. And as I even wrote those notes, I sat at my computer and I tell you the truth, I thought of people, I thought of my own history. How many times has your heart stopped beating? How many dreams in this place have you felt stop beating? How many marriages have struggled in the times of life and you feel like the heartbeat of your marriage has stopped beating? How many prodigal sons are represented here in this place that you feel like they're so far from God and you feel like their, their relationship with God has stopped beating and it makes you, the heart of the mother and the father, feel like the dream of your child coming to know God is. How many have ever given up on something and regret it even to this day? We need spiritual CPR. Through CPR, the revival of blood and oxygen to the brain and heart comes to save a person's life. Through spiritual CPR today, the same thing can happen. I love that word revival. It's the revival, the revitalization of the flow of God, the God's life, the Holy Spirit flowing again in a person's spirit, in their soul, not only to revive them, but to save their life. Spiritual grit is pursuing our goals and becoming spiritual formed into the image of Christ, and that requires at times CPR. You must consistently, I know that I know, I sat at the coffee shop with Trevor and he shared the testimony of last summer. You guys had a touch of God. That was a, a literal CPR moment right there. Right there, the flow of God came into this place. Was it this place here? I'm standing in the place. He told me your service went on for hours. Parents picked up kids and came back and received. That was a moment of CPR for your church. And God knew what he was preparing you for because I don't think he even knew the building at that point. And you, you, you were, God was preparing you for the next season. Spiritual grit prepares us. It, it helps us through these seasons, but God is so faithful. He gives you CPR the moment you need it. Sometimes it'll come from the word. Sometimes it'll come in prayer. Sometimes it'll come sitting in the coffee shop with your best friend. Sometimes it'll come from in community in your life Bible study. God wants to breathe life into you, but you've got to position yourself to receive it. So today, I, I told you it's an acronym and I'm going to go through it. The first part of CPR is courage. Courage isn't the lack of fear. It's the ability to overcome it. Courageous people take chances when others won't, follow their visions regardless of what it's, whether it's popular or not. They stand up for what they believe in, even if it means risking re rejection from friends and family. They do what is right even if there are easier ways to get things done. Courageous people possess these traits today. And I want radical, courageous people in this place. I remember when Trevor even told me the vision of your name. That word radical is, is, is radical. You ain't going to be normal people. You're going to be courageous. You're going to be radical in your faith. Radical people, they also are patient. They believe the unbelievable. 
They don't hesitate to say no to things as well. That's one of my problems. Anyone else can agree with that? How many don't know how to say no? I, that's been my struggle. Especially when you're in ministry and you serve, you serve, you serve, you serve. Well, sometimes here's the truth, it's a secret that I've learned. My no is more powerful than my yes. Oh, that set me free. My no is more powerful than my yes because if I keep saying yes to everything, my yes gets diminished and my no allows me to make my yes stronger. Oh, I can preach on that one. That, one, that one's I'm still living myself. They're not afraid to take an unpopular stance. They ask for help. Oh my goodness, I was the worst at asking for help for the longest time in my life. I thought I knew it every, how many, how many know teenagers and young adults think they know everything? I mean, we, we do, right? I'm just kidding. Ask for help, guys. Ain't nothing wrong with it. That's courageous to ask for help. They're able to forgive others' mistakes, move on quickly, and yet remain steadfast when others abandon their efforts. Even starting my own business now, one year in, people that started at the same time with me, I have friends that have already quit. I'm looking like, wait, what? what? I, I was admiring your business. <laughs> Don't quit, guys. Be strong in the Lord. Psalm 31, 24, be strong and take heart. Look what it says, all you who hope in the Lord. There's that word hope again. So the second part of CPR, courage, perseverance. If you're going through hell, keep going. You know who said that? Winston Churchill. And how many know that, that time and that, and that time in our generation before us, often called the greatest generation, thank God they didn't give up. Thank God those men and women gave their lives. Thank God there were leaders like Winston Churchill who persevered. Most people, perseverance means pain and suffering, but genuinely perseverance sees hardships not as an obstacle, but as joy. A persevering heart sees the challenge as an opportunity for joy. You know this scripture, many of you have probably studied it and I bet you Pastor Trevor has preached it many times. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I love that it says many kinds because everyone, how I many you know there are lots of different trials in this life. <laughs> in this room right now, there's hundreds of trials represented because you know that the testing your faith produces perseverance and let produce it, per perseverance finish this work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I wanna encourage you guys to hold on to what is good, to hold on to Jesus. That's why I love this verse in my church and some of the small group I was a part of. Just last week, we, we ministered on this passage too, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross. The cross was the moment that changed everything but Jesus saw it as joy. Scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's perseverance. Courage, perseverance. The R stands for one that I really believe God is teaching me in this season, so I'm with you on this one, and that is resilience. One of the words for resilience is toughness. The ability to bounce back after setbacks. My wife's sitting on the second row and she knows this is something, I'm a fighter and I'll keep fighting but I don't always bounce back as quickly as I probably should. 
I'm learning to bounce back quicker because I know that God doesn't want me down. He wants me up. And when it comes to resilience, it's a differential of one. Every time you get knocked down, as long as you get up one more time, you are resilient. Every time something goes wrong, as long as you keep fighting and you keep trying, you are resilient. Every time you even give in to temptation, as long as you get up and come into the house of God and continue in community and fight that addiction, the differential of one makes all the difference. Those who are excessively optimistic often display resilience more than others. I'm a pretty optimistic person, but their approach to life is an attitude also of fun, self-awareness, this is what God has been working in me as well, self-awareness and the ability even to laugh at themselves or the situation. I love that it takes perseverance to be like joy and then resilience brings joy as well, if you really have it. I think guys, as a church, you need to have more fun together, not just set up stuff. <laughs> Let's be real. That's, that's perseverance, the setup, but sometimes the resilience comes when you guys are bowling together or, or having fun or, or doing something at a park, something simple. These guys enjoy each other, laugh at each other, laugh at the mistakes you've made as a church, laugh and enjoy and, and, and enjoy the situation and the time that you're in. Resilient people have a strong sense of morality or a belief in the system and they won't abandon it. They don't compare themselves to others. They don't evaluate themselves on others', others things. They, they often evaluate their own achievements against their own capacity. They want more capacity so they can do more. That's resiliency. They don't try to control their life. Rather, they cultivate a self-awareness and mindfulness instead. I have a business coach as well, and what I think he's keeping me is my mindset more than anything I'm doing practically. He's making sure I have the right my mindset to grow a business. It starts with a growth mindset, y'all. And they adapt to situations and they have good attitudes when they have situations change. Second Corinthians, and this is towards the end, so I'm gonna go ahead and invite the keyboardist to come. That would be awesome. Second Corinthians four, seven, and eight. But we have this treasure of jars and clay to show that this is all surpassing power is from God. I've done this illustration, I would have wished to had it here, but I had this jar. I had two jars in front of kids one time and one was perfect. The other was broken and glued back together and had holes all shining through it. And I asked the kids, which of these jars is you? And many of them would say, oh, I'm the pretty one. And I truthfully looked at even the kids and I said, listen guys, the honest, if we're honest with ourselves, we're, we're this jar over here. The one that's been picked up, glued back together. But you know what's so beautiful about it? Inside those jars, I had some lights and I put the lights on, the light bulb was on, a big bright light like the ones that are shining on me. And out of that jar came the light and the kids were like, wow. Because out of your brokenness, that's how God's glory shines through. That's what Paul's writing here. We are hard pressed on every side. We are not crushed. We are perplexed at times. I'm perplexed at times. <laughs> we, pastors get perplexed often, right? I get it. We all do. But we're not in despair. Persecuted but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. We always carrying around. I, this verse really stuck out at the end. It says we're always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Consider that, we are carrying around 
the truth of the death of Jesus, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to die for the sins of the world. We carry that around. Why? So that it can be revealed to those around us. My final point today, point number three, is spiritual grit is a matter of identity. See, the often, the critical decisions you make in life, those gritty decisions you've got to make, even the ones you have to make right now, some of you are hanging on decisions right now and you're not sure what to do. Those decisions we make are a matter of identity more than anything else. Our courage, perseverance, and resilience does not spring forth from a cold, calculated analysis of cost and benefits. It comes from the source of strength that you have as a person. It comes when you know who you are. Grit comes from your identity today. Courage comes from your identity. Perseverance comes from your identity. Resilience comes from your identity. I love Paul, the apostle Paul had grit. Oh, he had grit. I love what he writes in Philippians 3 because he simply says about his own identity, he goes, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was kind of bragging at this moment. I studied all the law. There were Pharisees that were good and then there were Pharisees that were great. I was the greatest. And yet just a few verses later, he explains this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, to participate in his sufferings, to become like him in death. The very man who exalted himself was now saying, I want to die for the one who has set me free. I do not consider yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which is God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's our identity, y'all. So as we conclude this sermon series, I bring you back to Nehemiah 13. Why were Nehemiah's reforms necessary? Because the people forgot who they were. They forgot their identity of, as children of the one true God. In one of the verses I studied, it, it stuck out to me. It says in Nehemiah 13, 25, I rebuked them, I called curses down on them, I even beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? I don't think that'll fly today. <laughs> but what I find interesting, there was a priest by the name of Ezra. He has his own book as well, you can read that one. Just a few years earlier, he dealt with the exact same sin. The people had forgotten their identity, and you know what Ezra did? Bible says, when I heard this, Ezra said, I tore my tunic and my cloak. I pulled my hair from my head, from my beard. He pulled the, I have a beard too. I, I can't imagine the pain it would be to pull my hair out. I pull out one little gray hair sometimes and that hurts. 
And then it says he just sat down appalled and he weeped. You see, Nehemiah was in the office of royalty and governance. He had to enact discipline because the law was broken. He was acting as a king. Ezra was in the office of the priest. He was going on behalf of the people. He was the priest. Both pictures are the nature of our Jesus. Jesus came as the lamb. And there will be a day he's coming back as the lion. But between now and then, guys, I thank God for the lamb. I thank God for the lamb. I thank God for the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I thank God that even was prophesied of Jesus that his hair would be taken out. They pulled his hair out, y'all. They pulled his beard out. When he hung on that cross, he suffered. He died. Because he was the lamb. He was the one who was taking it all for us. See, we need that in our lives. We need someone who will take it. Jesus has already taken it, y'all. That's why it says, come to the cross when you are heavy burden, and I will give you rest, because he says, I've already taken it for you on the cross. Why are you carrying it? We need a Jesus to help shape and form our identities, because listen, each of you are on a radical journey of faith, being formed into the image of God. I love this definition of spiritual formation, being formed into the image of God for the sake of others. I think there's something the church, the modern church, the American church needs to figure out here. It's not about spiritual wellness or just your own health. It's about how are you becoming more like Christ for the sake of others so that his kingdom can grow, so that people can be discipled. You have neighbors right now that are living around you in great pain. But if you don't deal with your own pain, how are you going to be able to minister to theirs? I tell you the truth, in the first time in our lives, Leslie and I know all of our neighbors. And I am convicted by that. I was a pastor for 18 years and I didn't even know my neighbors. Now they're coming over to our home and we're experiencing life with them. And we're not pounding them over the head with the Bible. We're saying, listen, we're going through this with you. We want to share lives. Church, quit just sharing your faith and start sharing your life. So I empathize with you today. I'm part of your church. I'm part of the church of God. We are, we are going to see a move of God because you know why? We're going to the cross. So this morning, that's the invitation. Right where you are, Jesus says, come, come. And for some in this room, maybe you need to come to Jesus to discover your identity. And that means this, if you're here today and you're not absolute certain that you're a child of God, that you're forgiven, that if Jesus were to call us home, that you would be in with him forever and ever. If you're not absolutely certain, today's your day to make that faith, to make that decision, to leave here, I believe it, with the assurance of salvation with the Holy Spirit being activated in your life, the seal of God saying, you're mine, you're mine. If that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, I just wanna give an invitation. If you're here today and you're not certain of your identity in Christ as a child of God, forgiven, if you're not certain today, raise your hand. I see your hand, I see your hand. 
Yes, Lord. Amen. You may put your hands down. And now as we pray, the other call, the other invitation is this. Do you need spiritual CPR? I pose that as a question because I think the reality is we can all say yes. But make this an altar before the Lord right now where you are. Begin to ask, begin to tell him what you're going through. I want to pray for those that feel like their dream stopped beating. You feel like you've had dreams, desires that you know are from God, the callings of God even in this room. There may be callings of God that have been abandoned. If you're here today and you have a dream that feels like it stopped beating, would you raise your hand? Sam's all over this room, I see it. I'm raising my hand too. I'm in the revival process of many dreams that I felt had stopped beating. So I'm gonna pray with you. I'm gonna walk with you. This church is gonna help you. You're not alone. That's one of the biggest things to start thinking. You're not alone in this quest. Find communities that will strengthen you and always speak life into you. Well, let's pray for these that are feel this way. Church, this is gonna be revival of dreams, of callings, of things that God is just waiting for you to step into. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come, that through the midst of the pain, through the midst of the disappointment, through the midst of the struggle, your glory would begin to be revealed. That people right now, at the sound of my voice in this room and those watching online, right now dreams are coming alive again. CPR is being a flow, being applied right now. CPR, that, that pulse was gone. But there it is, there it is, it's coming, it's coming. The pulse is coming back. You're feeling it right now in the name of Jesus. It's coming alive because your faith is being energized and you will have the courage, you will have the perseverance and God is gonna put you to test in the next few days to see if you've got the resilience. You've got it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, be revived in this place. Dreams, dreams, marriages. There are marriages here that feel like their heartbeat is struggling. 
You're on life support right now. Your marriage is on life support. I challenge you in the name of Jesus, keep fighting, keep fighting. A covenant relationship is worth fighting for. It's not gonna be easy, but it's gonna take courage for both of you to change. It's gonna take courage. But I promise you, Jesus makes this promise. He'll meet you right where you are, right where you are, right where you are. If divorce happens because of the hardening of hearts, then guess what? Healing and reconciliation comes when your heart is softened. So ask the Lord to soften your heart. Don't ask the Lord to soften your, your spouse's heart. Start with yourself. Start with yourself. Soften your heart. Soften your heart. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If we can pray together now, and if you raised your hand earlier for the salvation call, that means discovering your identity in Christ, I want you to do something specific. After this prayer, you need to tell a leader, one of the pastors or one of the leaders of Radical. The reason you need to tell them is this, if you tell the leader, then they have a responsibility to help you as well in this beginning of your journey. If you don't, then, then I believe God can meet you right where you are, but I think you need help, and so I wanna encourage you. Oftentimes you have altar calls where you come forward. I'm gonna do a little differently. I'm gonna challenge you after you say this prayer, and it may be for salvation and identity. It may even be for your dream. You need to go tell someone and, and ask them to pray for you and ask this church to help strengthen you in this walk, but especially for new believers, this is a place that I know that I know you will grow in Christ. Get planted so deeply in community that your roots run deep. That's what'll help you grow. So let's pray together, church. Let's pray, say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Today, I come to the cross and I ask for your forgiveness. Come into my life, make me new, form me, shape me, change me. Now make this big ass church, say, Jesus, help me. Today, my hope is in you. Today, I have the courage. I have the perseverance. I have the resilience that I need because Jesus, I have you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give it up for Pastor Brett Owen? Wow. Man. What a word. Resilience, perseverance, grit. And what a way to end our series on Nehemiah. How many of y'all have enjoyed the series on Nehemiah? Uh, I've really enjoyed it. And what a weird way that the book ends, right? It's just such an odd way that it ends. It just, it's in this disarray and Nehemiah comes back and he's like, what are you guys doing? But at the end of his life, he's like, you know, Lord, I've done everything I can. And, 
And I think it's just such a clear picture of us and how we are. The Israelites time and time and time again, just keep messing up and messing up, messing up. And then somebody has to come back and let them know, hey, like, what are you doing, right? And I feel like sometimes that's, that's what my job is as a pastor, right? And I feel like that's what we do so many times is just say like, hey, like, what are we doing here? Like, are we following God? And, and let's not get to the end of our lives uh, and then and be like, wow, what in the world were we doing this whole time? But we were just going away from God and coming back. Listen, I want to have that perseverance, that spiritual grit to say, you know what, we're going to stick this thing out for the long haul. We're going to run that race and run it well all the way to the finish. So and thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hey, what I want to do right now is I want to talk to you a little bit uh, about something else. And then I'm going to talk to you about this guy for a second. So that's why I want you to stay up here with me. But uh, so our church has been growing. It's been amazing to see all that God has done over the last few months. I mean, I, I'm telling you, we, I, you know, at the beginning of the summer, uh, I'll tell you, I mean, it was probably maybe about 100, 110, 120 people maybe coming on a regular basis. And now, like, at, over the summer, our church has grown, which is not a normal thing to happen. I just want you guys to know it's not a normal thing. Uh, so it's just been the presence of God and, and the kind of the revival that I felt like we've been experiencing as a church and here in Kyle and, uh, and even within me personally, I think has what's really led to uh, our church growing over the summer. It's upwards of 150, 160, 170. Last week at our, at our two-year party, we had 210 people here. I mean, it's crazy. It's insane. Yeah, you can give God praise for that. We've had 32 people in the last month give their lives to Jesus. If there's two more, then that's 34 now. Come on. I love it. That's what you like to see. So, so with growing as a church comes growing pains. How many of you know when uh, I had that thing in my knee, you know, uh, it's like, I can't remember, like Osgood Slaughter or something like that. I, can't, I think that's how you say that. So I grew so fast uh, that, that my, my bone, and if, if there's a nurse or doctor out here, please correct me, but like my bones didn't actually grow as fast as my body needed them to. And so I have these big knots in my knees because I went from five foot two to six foot two in about a year and a half, okay? not normal, all right? My sophomore year of high school, I was very short, and then I got very tall, very fast. Uh, and so I had some growing pains. And how many of you know that growing pains hurt? Growing pains are difficult. And so as we've grown as a church, we've made a few changes. And I even just want to let you know a few of those changes because it affects all of us. And I want to let you know what's going on. And Pastor Brett actually has a part in this here. So uh, we have a staff of nine people at Radical Church. A lot of people don't know that, all right? But we have actually nine people on our leadership team. Some are paid. Some are volunteer that, that meet every single week and, and hang out and make Radical Church happen, that come and set all this stuff up and minister to you and your family and your kids. Uh, so we have a great team, a great leadership team that we would call our staff here at Radical Church. And we've made a few transitions that I just want to let you know about. I want to celebrate those people and celebrate the people that are coming in to take those roles. So uh, first is Mr. Richard Lopez. I don't know, are, the, the, are the Lopez's here today? I think he's watching online. He was just texting me a second ago. He must be watching online. Anyway, so uh, so Richard, I know you guys are watching at home right now. Lupita and Richard, have, they were the first people that said yes to Radical Church. Wow. The very first people. Like we had our interest parties. We had some family and friends, of course, that said yes. You know, super easy for that one. But the first couple that actually we sat on their couch and they said, hey, we want to be a part of Radical Church. And I immediately knew 
knew as we started to have our conversations that he was gonna be our connections director. So for almost the last two years now, Richard Lopez has served as our connections director and now he is transitioning out. And last week he was able to just come and eat some tamales with his family and it was great. So uh, what I want y'all to do is I want y'all to make a big round of applause for Richard. I know he's gonna hear us online. I love you, man. Thank you so much. We love, we love the Lopez family, Lyle and Leah, we love you guys. Uh, you'll see them around, they're not going anywhere, but uh, we just wanna let you know that that's a transition that's happening. Uh, and then Mr. Courage Criddle is back here in the corner. Come on, will y'all give it up for him? He is our new Connections Director, stepping into that role. And he's helping out in an amazing way. Uh, he's just a great man of God, and he's always been an awesome servant. He made the mistake one Sunday morning, just a few weeks maybe after they started coming to the church, him and his wife, Emily, he brought this podium up for me one time, and he made, he made that mistake, and now uh, he's on staff. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, he's, he's just got my back. He's just one of those guys, and Richard is the same way. They just have always had my back in that way. So uh, I want to honor them. Next, I don't know, are, are the Hayes here today? I don't know if I saw them. Where? Melody! All right, hey, I want to take a second and honor Ryan and Melanie Hay. They also stepped in and helped me in a season of just, you know, running a church is hard, okay? Can we just be honest? Like running any business and any kind of business or church is hard. There's that side of things, the administrative side of things. And if you know me at all, uh, you know that I'm not administrative whatsoever, okay? I'm a visionary. I'm a dreamer. I like to think of things in the future that are happening. Uh, and I like to, to, to see a preferred future. And then I say, hey, other people, can you help us make that? happen because the paperwork and, and the, the financial side of things, that is not me, okay? And so Melanie stepped in, and while I was pulling my beard out trying to figure out how to run this place, <laughs> Melanie helped and stepped into that role so graciously and was my admin for over a year and did such an amazing job. And she's transitioned out now. It's been a few weeks, but I just wanted to say we love you so much, Melanie. Thank you so much for your investment in this house and in my family. It really means a lot. We love your family in Austin. We love you guys a ton. And uh, uh, Melanie would come over to the house. We'd meet every single week. So it feels kind of weird that we haven't been meeting every week. And so she said, can we just have lunch? And can you just catch me up on a few things? And I was like, I'll give you the scoop. And one thing I will say is Melanie still runs this place, all right? So if she says anything, you just do what that woman says, all right? I, I still will, I promise. So you guys do the same. Uh, but thank you so much. And then uh, she's not in here right now. But Rachel Diaz is actually kind of helping to step in. She's our youth pastor as well as now administrator. She's kind of taking on both. Let's give it up. Yeah, she'll see this later. She's helping in preschool right now, serving your kids back there. So uh, she is just amazing. Her and her husband, Udi, and their family have been incredible. And I just want to say thank you to them for stepping in uh, to that role as well. So the last one is Caroline, Pastor Caroline, our kids pastor. She has done an amazing job the last two years helping to set up. How many of y'all know that, that child care and taking care of kids and kids ministry is not the easiest thing in the world? It's so rewarding, but it is not easy, okay? And then also add in the setup and teardown of that for the last two years. Come on, that is definitely something that we need to honor, Caroline. She is transitioning out, but we want to say thank you. They're not here today, but hey, if you guys see this, we love the Elders family. Thank you guys so much for serving. Pastor Caroline, for your investment in the kids. 
Man, we love you guys, really do. And, and so um, I want to uh, tell you the last thing, which is why he's still standing up here, okay, uh, is, is Lindsay Ashley, my wife, is actually going to step in as our interim kids director. So can we give it up for my wife? Because she's amazing too. She's not just good looking. But she loves Jesus, and she loves kids' ministry, and she wants to help your children find and follow Jesus. That's what it's all about, right? Uh, and so with that as well, uh, she is super passionate about kids' ministry being a place where your kids are going to find and follow Jesus. By the time they get out of fifth grade, they should know God and follow God. And she's going to send them on to Rachel right after that into youth. And Rachel's going to be like, why are all these sixth graders so on fire for Jesus? It's because of what's happening in Rad Kids. And so uh, I want to tell you a little bit about our partnership now uh, with Pastor Brett Owen. So this guy, uh, like I said, he has over 20 years of experience in kids ministry and family ministry. And so we're bringing him on actually as a kids ministry and kind of like honestly church consultant. He's going to help Lindsay with our kids ministry, revitalize some things, change some things, bring some creativity. He's one of the most creative guys I've ever met in my life. Even like the, the, glad, the, the, the jar thing with the light shining through, incredible. I would have never thought of that, but this guy does, you know? So uh, he's going to help Lindsay and I uh, craft that kids ministry and help train up leaders. And, and listen, we don't want kids to be babysitting. We want your kids. It's a ministry, right? Like That's we right. want them to know Jesus by the time they get out of there. Sure. And so, man, we're going to work together. And so will y'all give it up for Pastor Brett, who's going to be along, working alongside of us yeah. for the next few months. Uh, if you want to talk to the parents yeah. here, go ahead. Yeah, uh, parents, um, the ministry I lead is called Creative Disciple Maker. I exist to accelerate, innovate, and empower. And then one of the things I'm most excited about, I met many of the, the leaders that serve in kids ministry. You've got a solid, healthy team. And that's because of Caroline and her dedication, building a team. Some of the churches I walk into have half the volunteers that you have and maybe three and four services. So you've got one services and I wanna promise you this, I'm so excited as we do some micro changes and we start helping and build. When we get into that building, I think you're going to have a kids ministry explosion. And the families of your church, I tell pastors like Trevor, the growth engine of your church is often your kids ministry. But not only that, it's the reason it's a growth engine, not just because more people will come, because that's, they're growing. And I want them to grow into the next generation of believers. And I'll tell you, I've been studying this generation. I have four of them. I have kids from 12 down to four. Boy, girl, boy, girl. So I got a good combo of all of it. But this generation alpha that's coming right now is unlike any generation we've ever seen before. I've been in kids ministry long enough and I've, I basically, they're kids now that are in college. So I'm most excited about seeing how do we minister to rad kids? How do we minister to children of Kyle? And so I want you to know this too, church. I told the volunteers, but I'll tell the parents, I'm not here to change things. I'm helping you guys discover your identity of rad kids and how that can grow a place. We can cultivate the relationship because the kids that are in there will be in here before we know it. And that's the church. And church, more importantly as well, uh, as well, it's just as important. We want to have rad kids partner with you in your home. You guys are the greatest spiritual influence in their lives. How many grandparents in this room? Grandparents, you are the most incredible spiritual influencers your children, grandchildren will ever have. Why am I here today? Because I had a praying grandma. Why is she here today? Because she had a grandfather who had a dream. And she, he held on to that dream for his whole family. I'm telling you, grandparents, you are the legacy builders of your family. So I even have a vision for that as we build kids ministry. 
grandparent ministry, you guys are going to play a big part. So all those things to be said. I cast vision easily. You can hear me. I've already preached, so I don't need to preach again. But you'll see me around. I'll be back and forth. I only live about 45 minutes away. So this is going to be a place I'm going to look forward to serving. And I'm serving lots of churches in the San Antonio area. So the ideas that will be flowing are going to be a lot of fun. Amen. Thank you, Trevor, so much. Hey, let's give it up one more time for Pastor Brett Owen. Thank you, man. Hey, we just want to be transparent, let you guys know what's been going on, but we have a great staff team. And listen, transition is hard. It's never easy. Uh, growing pains, like it's a good thing that we're going through a lot of this stuff. Uh, it, just be, it just means that we're growing and I'm excited for the future. I really honestly am. Like transition is hard and it is sad sometimes uh, to see things change. It's just never easy. You know, it's still, I love these people and, and you're going to see, you know, like Melanie's sitting right here and it's sad that we don't get to meet every week and we have these transitions and sometimes those things are hard, but yet at the same time, I am more hopeful about the future of Radical Church. Listen, I'm telling you, the best days are ahead of Radical Church and I hope that you believe that because I believe that God God has some great stuff, not just for our church, but for you and your family. We want to help minister to you as a family, help parents and grandparents minister to your kids, uh, marriage ministry, where we're going to be able to pour into you guys as a couple. Let me tell you, when we get into this new building, one of the first things I want to do is have a parent's night out where we take your kids and y'all can just get out and have a blast and y'all go have a date night. Come on, some parents, tired parents say amen in the house of God. Come on. Uh, we want to be able to do things like that with you and partner with you to help your marriage and your family and all that stuff. So uh, I'm so excited for where we're headed as a church. And listen, if you ever have any questions about anything, please, I'm an open book. I just want to be as transparent as we can. You can come talk to me anytime. I'm not a kind of guy where we have to, you know, be away or anything like that. Just come talk to me or talk to one of our pastors or leaders. We would love to talk with you, answer any questions you have about our church or anything like that. Because we want you to feel confident and comfortable and the leadership and where this church is headed. But let me tell you, I'm trying to follow God as close as I can and listen to his voice as close as I can so that we can reach not just you, but the rest of this Hayes County and Kyle, Buda, San Marcos. I believe that this church and you, when we partner together, we can do more when we're together. Amen. So, hey, let me pray over you and we'll get out of here. Father God, I thank you for this amazing church. I thank you for Pastor Brett who came and poured a great word into us today. I thank you that, uh, that we are going to have some spiritual grit, that as we leave this place and as we go throughout this week and as we go throughout uh, the next few years of our lives, God, we're, we're in here right now, but it's so easy to forget who we are. It's so easy to forget uh, what you've done for us in the past. And, and I think sometimes it takes us building those altars and reminding ourselves of your goodness and your grace in the past so that we don't slip out of relationship with you in the future. And so, Father, I pray you help us as a church, uh, us, our leadership team, our staff to pour into every family that's represented here and that's online. Uh, watching right now. God, I pray that you would use me uh, to disciple and to pour in uh, to these people and that, that these people together, that they would disciple one another. And they'd be in community with each other to the point where they start growing together. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. And so God, I pray you give us that spiritual grip that we wouldn't go away from relationship with you, but that we would run the race strong all the way until our last day or until Jesus comes back. And so, Father, we thank you. We praise you. Give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Hey, thank you so much for being here today. We love you guys. God bless you.